0: Hello and welcome back to our study of the book of Hebrews. Um, we're glad that you could join us. Uh, this is such an important book. And let's jump right in. We're going to be in chapter four today. Um, you'll remember uh, we're building a case, right? We're building a legal argument almost And how do you build a legal argument? Well, if you ever watched a trial or maybe you went to law school, maybe you're an attorney yourself or you've worked around it, uh, if, if you'll notice the best ones really are good at doing this. They build on a premise, okay? You state your premise And then you, something that everybody can agree on, definition of terms or or, or facts or something like that. And then you take upon that foundation and you build your first argument. And you bring everyone along logically and rationally to that argument. And then when everybody's agreed on that, you build the next layer. And And you lead an audience, whether it be a jury or a judge or whoever, you lead them on a journey, a narrative, a story. In which you're accepting a certain premise every step of the way until you reach the conclusion. That's how you get people to agree with you. That's how you persuade and convince people. Good preachers do that too by the way. Um, And the letter to the Jewish Christians, what we call the book of Hebrews, was perhaps a sermon that was delivered or a letter that was written that is building a legal case for why Christ is superior and why accepting Christ means radically changing how we approach our relationship to God from the old law. Those who received this were primarily Jewish in their culture and in their faith. They'd accepted Christ, but they didn't understand what that meant, what the realization of that was. They were still keeping the old law and just accepting Christ. They didn't understand that that meant things changed. That meant that their world had been opened wide. Why? Because the old law was for a purpose. Yes, it was to govern them, to deal with conflict, to keep them safe and protect them all along this journey of a thousand years to get to Jesus, but it also meant that it was to um, shape their hearts and minds, help them to understand some concepts, things like priests and sacrifices and law, until Jesus would come and would fill all of those roles in a superior way. So here is the argument being built. Jesus is better than the angels. Stop worshiping angels. Jesus is better than Moses as a lawgiver. And if we're faithful, as the people who were faithful in the time of Moses reached the promised land, we too will reach a promised land if we're faithful. And we are promised heaven, which is better than Canaan as a rest as, a, as a, uh, a place of rest as a Sabbath rest so let's look at chapter 4 again this chapter begins with the word therefore and almost every chapter and again chapter breaks are man's creation in Scripture uh, we did that for organizational purposes sometimes it gets in the way but you will notice at every chapter break um, almost without fail uh, at least the first like seven chapters Begins with something like, therefore, or because of this, or for. In other words, the Greek word there is gar. We're introducing a reason. We're going to introduce a reason now. Here's a statement. Here's a a premise. And now here's why that matters. We do the same thing in chapter 4. And that means we need to back up, right? Chapter 3, he says, the ones who were unbelieving, the ones who lacked faith, they're the ones who didn't enter that promised rest, that Sabbath rest. Therefore, chapter verse one, Let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. They got good news under the old law. They received good news. Hey, there's a land of rest. There's a respite from the trouble of this world. There's a place that God has chosen for you. And here's what you have to do to get there. But their hearts were not changed by this. Maybe they obeyed, maybe they put forth that. but their faith was not bound to their obedience. They weren't changed in their heart and they fell away. They were easily distracted and led astray by the troubles that confronted them. We too have had good news preached and it's Jesus. But we can Bind together our faith and our obedience into one thing. For he, excuse me, verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So the author says there, God's done. He's done making things, okay? He built the earth. He built heaven. There's a place already ready for us, okay? And he said before when talking about those who were unfaithful that I swore in my wrath that they will not enter my rest. The rest is already there. It's already waiting. We're reaching for it. Um, So God rests on the seventh day, and again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. He's making the point that there is a place There is a place prepared. There is a place that's waiting. It's what we're walking toward. It's what we're moving toward. Remember the old hymn, marching to Zion. We're marching to a promised land. We're marching to a land of rest. And that's what Sabbath is. It's a rest. The Sabbath day was the day God rested. The Sabbath day was the day the Jews rested. And we are reaching a Sabbath when our work will be done, when this world will pass, when we will enter rest. Verse 6 excuse me, therefore since it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David after so long a time, just as he has said, has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The The author there is again doing something we talked about earlier. He's taking language that was written long ago and showing us in a, the light of a new context what it means. So, God, uh, God killed those who were unfaithful in the wilderness, or allowed them to die in the wilderness without seeing the promised land. And then David writes about that today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. He's drawing a comparison. It was important when it happened in Genesis or in, in Exodus, rather. It was important when David reflected on it wrote about it in the Psalms. And now we see probably the most complete understanding of it in context today. It's still today, and God is still speaking, and we have heard the good news. Don't harden your heart. You see how God, in his providence, and this is what I believe, brings things to occur in one time, gives them a new context when meaning whenever they're read about, written about, sung about by his people to help his people understand something. We're going to see that later with a guy named Melchizedek. But something happens in the Old Testament. Someone later on reflects on it, writes about it, and it's a learning moment, a teachable moment for those people. And then later, Jesus comes into the picture and reveals, oh my goodness, that was about Jesus. That was there the whole time. Um, The only alternative is that these authors are just willy-nilly taking things out of context. I don't believe that's true. I believe that the authors, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, drew on what they and their audience understood in order to show something that was always there. Many, many times, God's people see things for the first time that were always there because their eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit. And we, too, have our eyes opened by the Holy Spirit as we read this, just as the original audience did. And what they're seeing now is that the angels that they've always understood and worshipped, Jesus has always been better than that. That Moses, the lawgiver that they revered, Jesus has always been better as a lawgiver. In fact, there was Jesus present in that time, in that writing, in that reflection. They just didn't see it. And those who were faithless died in the wilderness and missed out on the Sabbath rest and now there is a Sabbath rest, it's been prepared, it's always been prepared, and Jesus is the way there. But if you're not faithful, if you're not a believer, you're going to miss out on it. And as David said, today, if you hear it, so as long as it's today, hear his voice. Listen, don't harden your heart. Verse 8, for Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There's the argument. We're not done. Oh, we made it to Jerusalem. That's not it. Because when David wrote it, they had already made it there. When David wrote, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And he's talking about the Sabbath rest. That's long after Joshua brought them into the promised land. That's long after they conquered Canaan. So what does that mean? the author rightly points out that means there's still another rest yet. The story's not finished, the story's not over, this is not the final rest, this promised land. You see, once they crossed that river, once they made it to Canaan and they established their kingdom, many people said, well we did it, we made it, we're in a new age. And according to what David wrote, and I believe for a purpose that the Holy Spirit intended, and Um, what now this author is enlightening us to. When David wrote that, they were already there. Why is he talking present and future tense about a rest? Because there's another rest yet to come, and it is the one in heaven that God has made and created and left for us. So there remains, verse 9, a Sabbath rest for people of God, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his God finished creation, and he rests. And we too will finish our work, and we will rest. Therefore, verse 11, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall uh, through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God, important verse here, we'll get to that in a minute. So the whole point of this is an encouragement to remain faithful, right? I mean, we got to understand the purpose. It's not just a theoretical, hypothetical uh, thought piece about, well, maybe this Christian age is better than this, you know, uh, mosaic age or patriarchal age. No. This is real world. Jesus changed things. Jesus changed things. Don't live according to that old law anymore. Recognize what Jesus has changed and live accordingly. Faithfulness matters. Obedience matters. Not for merit, You know, No one's going to check a scorecard when you get to heaven to see how many good things you've done and how many bad things you've done. One question, one question alone. Who's the reason you're here? And the answer is Jesus. It's not us. It's Jesus. That is all that will save us. But allowing our minds and our hearts to be taken away by this world and its temptations will lead to a heart that turns from faithfulness, that leaves the comfort and safety of a belief in Christ. So, obedience and faith are tied together. Okay, they are. Um, We don't talk about obedience as a work of merit. We talk about obedience as a result, as a response to the grace of God. So, the faith that saves is the faith that obeys. And Hebrews is all about faith. But we can't ignore obedience because obedience produces real-world results, just as disobedience does. And so... (coughs) The author says, be diligent to make it to that rest. Don't stop now. The story is not over. Heaven awaits us, so wake up every day intending to be faithful, intending to do right. Don't follow their example of disobedience because you'll get the same result. And then verse 12, for the word of God is living and active. In other words, it's not over. It didn't end with the old law. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. Those are two things, by the way, that how do you, what's the difference in soul and spirit? Well, there is a difference. Can we discern it? Not always. There is a difference between joint and marrow. Um, We understand that a little better because medical science has allowed us to, but it's penetrating and it divides the things which are difficult to divide. It divides the things that are almost indiscernible to the naked eye. The word of God moves, continues to move, continues to evolve, continues to be understood. And it is penetrating and it is sharp and it changes things. The division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God will reveal things. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest, every verse is so rich. Every verse is worthy of committing to memory. Verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Okay, notice how he builds the case. Now, we've talked about the Sabbath rest. Here's the next level. Now, we're going to talk about priesthood, and we're actually going to do that for about three chapters and then move on. So now he's said, okay, remember back in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, where the author discusses Jesus and his temptations and overcoming temptation and why that makes him especially qualified to come to our aid. Well, now he's bringing that back into the picture. And he's saying, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Wait a minute. If you were reading this then, and you had grown up as a Jew, you knew what a high priest was. Jesus is a high priest? Wow, hold on a minute. The concept of a high priest was understood and the author has already said his humanity and his divinity that combine together mean he is uniquely qualified to speak to God on our behalf and to carry our prayers and intercession and propitiation to God. And now we come back to it and says we have a great high priest. It's Jesus. He's already passed through the heavens. He's already been there. And so because of that, we can have some confidence. For verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. You see the two things coming together. Jesus, though he is God, is not so detached from humanity that he doesn't understand sin and temptation. He's been human. He understands it. And yet, although he's experienced it, he hasn't fallen prey to it. You see, he is both God and he is both man, and those things come together to make him perfectly qualified to serve in that role as the intercessor between us and God, the mediator, the propitiation, the go-between, the middleman, because he has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. He overcame. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a wonderful God we serve. I hope that as you study the book of Hebrews along with us that you will understand just how important it is what God did through Christ. And I hope it opens your eyes the way it did mine the first time I studied this this book. It gave me a new appreciation, first of all, for the Old Testament and the Old Law. Helped me to understand God's plan better, but also filled me with wonder and filled me with humility for what God has done for us and how blessed we are that Jesus went to the cross. It's perfect. There's no way to make it more perfect. It's lacking nothing. The Son of God became like me, to understand what I would suffer so that he could go back to God and bring me with him. Amazing. What an amazing God we serve. Chapter five is coming up next, so stay tuned. Glad you could join us and keep studying. Read ahead. Read chapter five, come back, and then we'll talk about it. Take care. See you next time.